Well, good morning, Whitewater. Good to see you. Add some seats back there. Welcome the people in the back. Good to see you. People still coming on in. Uh, we are in a new series. It's all about building the family of God. And um, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. Um, I didn't share this with the first service because maybe I just felt maybe it was too, I don't know, uh, intimate of a detail about my family. But my boy just started learning how to be I technically potty trained. Yes! I'm so excited. Um, and he's, he's uh, almost two, and it, it is, uh, this is a glorious path he's on, he's undertaken, and I just, uh, it, now you know what to be praying for in our family, for us, it's going to be great. Um, but as we talk about the family of God, um, the church isn't just an organization, uh, it's not a club, uh, it's not just a, a gathering of random people, it's a family. Jesus came to build a family. In fact, um, I just want to bring us back from last week to make sure we're, we all like understand some of the radical nature of what Jesus uh, came to build, do, and inspire us to do in our day and age. Because the scriptures, is, uh, they're ancient scriptures, but man, they speak relevantly to us today. So uh, last week, Jesus was... In, well, I guess not technically last week he was in a party, but last week we read about a story where he was at a party. You guys remember whose house he was at? Matthew, the tax collector. So he hangs out with Matthew. Uh, tax collectors are uh, apparently fairly famous for their party-throwing abilities. Uh, he and Zacchaeus uh, are two tax collectors mentioned with parties in the, in the New Testament. And so all these people gather, and Jesus is at this party where the Pharisees see Jesus hanging out with this riffraff, ragamuffin group of nobodies. And the, would you guys remember the question that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had? Their question was, and they didn't ask Jesus, they went to his disciples on the side, and they're like, why does your teacher sit with and eat with Tax collectors and sinners. Like, tax collectors have their own category of sinner, apparently, in these days. But why is he hanging out with them? Why is he eating with them? Because they're like, they, they're full of sin and they're broken. And this is a messed up group of people. And, and he could get infected with their sin and their diseases. I mean, just look at these people. And, uh, and, and they immediately they started building uh, a wall between them and these people that weren't as religious as they were, weren't as righteous as they were. And last week we talked about how we live in this world that still likes to build walls where Jesus came to dig a well. And do you remember in that story how Jesus digs a well in that moment? How he draws people to himself. Rather than closing himself off um, through a wall, he opens it up. Do you guys remember his answer? He, he, he looks at, those, at the Pharisees and he, and he says, look it, you, you need to understand something. I didn't come here to like heal people who think they're well. I came to take to heal the sick, to deal with people who are broken. So he doesn't disagree with them and say, no, they're not broken. No, they're not sinful. He fully agrees with them. Yes, there's a lot of brokenness here, but they need a healer. They, they need someone who can be with them and help them find wholeness. That's why Jesus came. He, he came to, to create a hospital for broken people, not like a fashion show, not a, not a rest home for retirees that separate themselves from the rest of the world, or a funeral home that just goes and looks at dead bodies and goes gross and leaves them. He came to heal people. Amen? 
Okay, we maybe some people are with me. I'm going to try to bring you farther along with me. So last week we talked about when, when God began building his inclusive community, inclusion creates tension. How many of you guys know that inclusion creates tension? I remember living um, in a... Uh, in a Bible school, it was an international Bible school, and all these people came together, and the first week was incredible. We had people from all over the globe. You had Germans, Koreans, we had Eastern Europeans, we had South Americans. We had, I mean, just about the whole globe was represented. You know, I, I lived with a, a few Scandinavians. One of the Germans there was, had the weirdest accent. He was a rapper, so he would rap in German, and he was kind of learning English. Uh, I remember one point, there's a guy with a, he found a, egg under his pillow that someone had put there for him to squash and he was like what's this who put this here what is this and the German thought he was being really literal and he's like I don't know John Carpenter but I think you have a chicken baby um, <laughs> and uh, it was so fun like that first week maybe two weeks and then like the the uh, honeymoon stage of hanging out, the fun stage of hanging out, kind of started to dissipate, and the Germans were getting uh, upset with the disorganized Americans, and the and and, and then you had like um, the Koreans who were getting upset with I forget which group, but there was like a might have been another crew of Koreans that they were upset with, and like there were there was just like tensions, and then people started dating. This was like you know in your 18, 19, 20, 21 year old age, and people started dating, and you know like people started getting angry and breaking up, or like no. No, like I felt like God has called me to marry her, not you, you know, and like there'd just be these crazy moments. And all of a sudden, like the inclusive, amazing, global, biblical school was filled with like these walls and divisions and, and tension started filling the place. How many of you guys know that inclusion can create tension? And, and here's one of the assumptions we make about inclusion in our day and age. Like inclusion or tolerance can be used as like these cover words for like nothing, no one will ever disagree. And so like we have an inclusive community means that like we will all believe the same things, behave the same way, and have the same personalities. We will be unified and in unity. And the problem with that is if you're definition of tolerance and inclusion is that everyone's going to think the way you do, everyone's going to believe the same way you believe and, and act the way you act, then, then you actually create a very exclusive group because everyone has to be like you or they have to walk this exact line. And, and again, these walls start building up. And that's not very realistic. I remember talking with my sister last week. She's like, oh, it hit me so big. Like the, uh, um, Inclusion doesn't mean that we, we always agree. And she's like, but when we accept somebody, it doesn't mean that we always agree with them. And, and, and it's like, man, we, we need more of that in our world. What do you guys think? And there's also an assumption. Um, I, I was at a conference, and I, I, I thought the speaker, Rick Warren, really hit it so well. He, he, he really hit this reality that, that we think that, man, if I disagree with someone, there's this assumption in our culture that I have to hate you and fear you. And... When you look at the life of Jesus, and you look at the way of Jesus, man, there's, you don't, if you disagree with someone, if I disagree with somebody, their lifestyle, their way of thinking, it doesn't mean that I have to hate them, and it doesn't mean that I have to fear them. It just means that I might disagree. But you can disagree with somebody and love somebody at the same time. Do you guys believe that? Do you believe that? Yeah. All right, I just wanted to check. I'm like, man, what are we building here? I want to make sure 
but that's the, that's the family of God. And here's the thing. If inclusion creates tension, here's the, here's the beautiful thing. Inclusion does create some tension. But it also, inclusion creates transformation. And if you allow love and truth to be like the foundation of the inclusion of God, like it doesn't mean that you let go of truth for acceptance and love, doesn't mean that you're all truth and no love, it's both, right? You're, we're holding tension here, like a, like a guitar, like the guitar Michael's playing or the violin that, you know, some of the musicians are, are playing, like, like it doesn't make good music unless there's tension, right? There has to be some tension for these things to create something beautiful, And if you live in the tension with truth and love, you will see transformation. You will see transformation. uh, We talked about how inclusion basically creates an unlikely family. Like a group of people that should have no business being together. Like there's, there's some people that are here that think and act and see the world so differently that it doesn't make sense outside of Jesus that you'd be in the same room identifying with the same group of people. And that's the beauty of the church. Do we agree? Do you agree? I, I just think um, that's what Jesus came to do. And last week, one of the things we, we, I kind of symbolized visually was the unlikely family of Jesus. Jesus was at the center, and where he moved, people began moving toward him and messed up, unlikely, weird people, many of whom shouldn't even like each other, but all these broken sinning people that the Pharisees are like, why are you hanging out with them? Moved and loved and were redeemed and, and actually transformed around Jesus. And you guys remember this? Uh, do you guys mind helping me kind of recreate this a little bit visually? Because I, I want to move us from the tension point that we hit last week, the unlikely family of God, the tension, to the transformation. And I, I just want to visually show that if you'd uh, you know, allow me to do that with you. So I might volunteer tell some of you to help me if that's okay is that all right we got a few people all right so what i'm going to do is i need uh who do i need first well i need uh, a woman possessed by demons mary magdalene i need a mary again i get a mary like i feel bad pointing someone out but just based on what i know about you no i'm just kidding <laughs> come on up oh this is great mary magdalene you're up here go ahead and just stand here for a second she was possessed by demons jesus changed her life we uh i need a uh, nicodemus someone who's feeling like really superior yep yep that's perfect patrick come on up um this is our nicodemus he's like the religious leader and he he comes from the group that pharisee literally means to separate it means to separate. So like they're superior in every way, kind of like a, a very judgmental Mary Poppins or something. Um, then we have, I need a Matthew. I need a, I need a Matthew. He's a tax collector. So he's good at partying, but no one likes him. So they like hang out with him because his parties are so good. <laughs> you know what? That's like real. That's so good. <laughs> Come on up here. No, of course not. Um, good to see you. Okay, this is our Matthew. He works with and for the Roman government, by the way, whom most of the Jews despise. Um, what, who else do we have here? I need, a, uh, I need a leper. That's who I need. I need a leper. Uh, Jeff. Oh, actually, no, no, even better. <laughs> even better. Okay. So lepers uh, were... They were considered the lepers of the community. <laughs> um, they were, yeah, that's exactly right. That people would want to move away because they, were, they had this uh, disease that they couldn't cure. They were losing limb, anything with nerves, so their eyes. It was a terrible disease to get. But it not only separated them from their families, 
for life, but it also separated them from their worshiping community, which was at the center of that community of that day. And then the last person I need is uh, Simon, the zealot. He's kind of a freedom fighter, used violence, um, someone very, bur- yeah, right here, we got a, oh, I think we, you, do you do MMA? You do, you used to fight, okay, so you used to be a Simon, all right, don't, don't hurt me, I'm just using it as an example today, um, so uh, I should see how much, like, if I can make you mad, um, I'll stand, like, right here, so, Simon, <laughs> um, so here's, the, here's what was happening just visually um, with this unlikely group of people. As Jesus was doing his ministry, they couldn't help but be drawn toward him. And if you remember last week, we had kind of Jesus at the center. Um, I'm not going to be Jesus, but we'll pretend he's here. And they, would, they started moving together. You guys mind just taking one step toward? There we go. That's perfect. So yeah, he's, the, he's not sure because he's Nicodemus, the religious guy, right? So And they all had different reasons, all responded to Jesus for different um, experiences they had with him, but they all were drawn toward him. But here was the problem. As they were drawn toward Jesus, they were drawn toward each other, and that causes tension. That causes tension. Uh, let's see. You're the one with the demons, is next to the one who doesn't like being near spiritual darkness. <laughs> yeah, he's heard about her. And like would naturally build a wall. Like We don't let her near anyone. She's had a demon in her, let alone seven, right? Multiple demons, bad for the Pharisee. So he would build a wall there, and then you are, um, which one are you? They're the party or? I like to party, but I'm, everyone hates me. Yes, but you work for, okay, this is Matthew, right? Yeah. So Matthew, he works in, for the, the Roman government, and he uh, robs from the poor to give to the rich, and that's what he's known as. And, and then you have Simon over here, who actually probably was a guerrilla freedom fighter against, like, and took up arms against the Roman government that he worked for and colluded with. So do you, as they're moving closer together toward Jesus, do you feel some of the tension? And then Jesus had the audacity to bring a leper into the whole group where everyone's terrified of this guy. I mean, and if you guys know Josh at all. Um, and, and so there's this tension that's going on. But here's the thing. Jesus started transforming each and every one of them individually. So we see Mary Magdalene, who's got spiritual darkness. All of a sudden, she has spiritual light in her life. Where she was, um, where she was enslaved, she has freedom now from spiritual darkness and the demonic. Um, we'll get back to you in a second. Uh, then you got Matthew, who's, who's probably lied and cheated and been part of a system that's lying and cheating people and uh, wild parties of revelry, all kinds of stuff. And he's been an outsider in many ways because of that. And now Jesus changes him, turns him from a lying, deceptive person, hopefully into an honest person, or changed him from um, an outsider to an insider. Now we have a man who's been sick, he's a leper, and he's healed. So he goes from sickness to healed. Do you see how Jesus specifically is transforming each individual and changing him? Here's a man who is willing to take up arms and violence and all kinds of stuff, and now he's following the Prince of Peace. And he's learning to lay down some of that violence. And then in the midst of all that, you have a a Pharisee who's kind of put walls around him. He's like, I don't want to be identified with any of these people because I'm righteous. And then Jesus just kind of hacks down the wall around him and says, your judgment and condemnation of others is actually a condemnation of yourself. And yet Jesus still pulls him in too. If you know Nicodemus' story, and there were a few other Pharisees like him that actually were transformed and became a Jesus follower. And so through the tension, Jesus transforms them individually. How many of you guys 
could say that you individually in your life have met Jesus in such a way that you'd say, he's, he's changed and transformed me. How many of you here can identify that? Praise God. Like, that's what Jesus does. But here's like, here's like the cherry on top. Here's like the most amazing piece of this. There, all of these people have an individual story of transformation, but the collective story is this, why, well, what's the answer to the question? Jesus, why are you hanging out with those tax collectors, demon-possessed, religious, uh, lepers, violent uh, zealots? Why are you hanging out with sinners like that? The answer is, he was sent into a broken world, a dark world, to build a family, an inclusive family, the family of God. And so by healing each and every one of these people and transforming them, helping them see the truth, helping them move toward the truth, and as grace was given to them individually, they had to learn to give grace to each other because when God gives grace, more grace needs to be given to and through us. Amen? It means we've got to love people that are on either sides of this aisle, either sides of thinking. We have to give grace as we've been given grace. But here's the most powerful thing. All of these people now are because they've been healed and transformed, they are restored to the family of God. They, are, they now are part of God's family in a totally different way. They've, they've joined the ranks of the ragamuffin gospel of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Cool. Thank you. Can you guys give these, these people a hand? Thank you. Thank you much. And like, yeah, there we go. Matthew and... Um, and the, the, there's something symbolic like being able to join the worshiping community, join the family. This is what Jesus came to do. Um, there's a story that we, we tell. There's probably three foundational stories in our church that we come back to over and over. And so many of you guys have heard me share this story, but I share it some ways to give maybe a different angle on this story but the most important reason I share this story and attach it to what you just saw is because this is why Whitewater exists this is this is what our church is founded on and if we don't come back to it over and over and over again it's so easy to drift from the mission from the purpose from the from the the way that Jesus wants our church to be and to live and to love so if you've heard me say this story, uh, I would just ask you to try to listen with fresh ears, but also to remind ourselves, this is who we are. This is God's story in our life. And if you're new, I would just ask you to listen in and to see how this story of inclusion and tension leads to transformation. So there's a story about a father, a son, and another son, two brothers, it's called the prodigal son. Probably would be better to be called the prodigal father, just this reckless, amazing love of the father. Well, the, the story goes like this. I'll tell the, the, the bare bones version of it, but there's such power here. There's, there's a son who's the youngest son, and he decides, I'm done with this. I'm done with my family. I'm done with my father. I'm done with my brother. I'm done with this town. I'm out of here. And so he, he actually asks and receives his inheritance early and runs off to a far off land. And that very act in this day and age, in that culture, which was a shame and honor culture, well, let me ask you, does it bring shame or honor on the father and his family and the son rejects the family and runs off? 
A huge amount of shame, right? Huge amount of shame. And so when he runs off, he's basically saying, I wish you were dead, and since you're not, I'll just take my inheritance and pretend that you are. While the son is off he, in another land, he ends up squandering everything he had. He loses it all. He ends in destitution. He goes from the palace to the pigsty, loses everything. And then there's a moment where he comes to his senses as he's in this pigsty, like the, the worst moment. I don't know if you guys have ever had that pigsty moment where you have a moment of clarity and you're like, all the choices in my life have led to this. I have no one to blame but my stupid self. And he has that moment and he's like, man, it would be, I would be better off as a slave in my father's house than I am here. And so he leaves the distant land. He leaves where he ran off to and he begins his journey back home. And as he's going, he's, he creates the speech. He's going to tell his dad, like, look, at, I, don't, I don't deserve to be your son. I haven't acted like your son. I've, I've I have acted horribly. I have, I have dishonored you. And the, vill- the village, you're probably a laughingstock because of what I've done. And so I know I can't be a son anymore, but maybe I could come back as a slave. And as he's rounding the hill, it's, in this story, it says, the father saw him from a long way off. You guys remember this story? And what does it say the father felt and did? The father was filled with wrath and anger and he shut the gate. To, no. Some of you are like, yes, finally, the story's right. This is the way it should have been written. Um, Jesus, as he's telling the story to a Middle Eastern culture, shame and honor and the shameful son has come forward. They are thinking, oh, now's the time of comeuppance. Now the father's going to run out and he's going to say, you know what you should have, you never, and here's, I told you this, I told you that, and you can't, and you're out, I'll never, you know, that, those kind of conversations, like everyone and the, the people that Jesus is telling, the whole crowd is anticipating this, and then Jesus says, and the father saw him from a, a long way off and was filled with compassion for his son. Filled with a uh, the, the, the feelings of a lost one coming home, someone you've been dying to see and you feel like you've lost forever and they've actually come around the bend. And he's filled with so much emotion for the son who's dishonored him and ran away. He doesn't care about any of that. It's his little boy. This is his son. He runs to him. In this day and age, Middle Eastern men don't run. It's dishonorable. He doesn't care. And he runs. And you can just see the people having such conflict of emotion that are listening to Jesus. Because on one side, they're like, this doesn't right. He he shouldn't be happy. He shouldn't be filled with compassion. But on the other side, you can see the conflict inside. But the other side of them is like, but it's his son. And they have sons. And they have daughters. And and on the interior, no matter what the culture says, there's a part of them that says, yes. This is so right. And, and, the, and Jesus is teaching them that it doesn't matter what culture you live in, that God's love is like higher than any culture. And his ways are higher. And so the Father shows anybody who would listen, anybody who would hear the story, a higher way, the way of God. And he runs to his son and it says he, he, he throws his arms around him and embraces him. He enters his world and his filth and his embarrassment and his shame. And the father who has every right to be angry and every right to be ashamed and every right to be mixed feelings, like his love overwhelms all of that. 
And he just pulls him in. He can't stop kissing him. And you can see the son say, no, don't need to tell you. Like, let go of me. And he's like picking him up. I just see this big bearded father with these robes that are all scattered everywhere because he was running. And you're not supposed to run if you're a Middle Eastern father. And, and he's just picked his son up. He's got this big bear embrace. We call it a dataconda in my family. <laughs> the dataconda. And, and the, you can see the son saying, no, and ob- objecting, I'm not worthy, and I've, I'm not even your son. If I could just come back as a slave, and he's doing his whole speech, and the father doesn't care at all. His son is back, and he looks back to his servants. He's killed a fattened calf, which you might think is kind of a weird thing. Why would you want to slay an animal because you're so happy? But in this day and age, it, it's like, we're going to party. And if you're, if you're slaying the fattened calf, it means you're inviting the whole town, the whole village. And what has that village thought about the father and his son up to this point? Their embarrassment. What, a, what shame. How awful is this? They're embarrassed for the father. And what's wrong with him that he would allow his son to have done this? Like, you know, he's been probably uh, the center of gossip and shame. And father, he invites his village to participate and join in the inclusion of a lost son. I want to restore him. He's my son. Would you come help me restore him? This isn't a, a retribution or revenge mission. It is a rescue, restoration mission that the father is on and he invites everybody and anybody to join in to the party let's celebrate he says and everyone begins to celebrate so you guys like this story i mean i know maybe you've heard it and it might be boring but for me i always i just have to come back to this over and over again because the father is our heavenly father and jesus is trying to help us understand how much god loves the world now, in the story, there's another son, isn't there? Father notices that that other son isn't in the party. And um, the father, what is, do you remember what he does? What does the father do when he realizes the older brother isn't in the party? Does he say, well, forget him, like, close the door, like, he doesn't get in? No, he does the same thing he did with his other son. He runs out to him, and he begins pleading with him to come into the party, and, and he's like, come on, son, I, you need to come into the party. This, your brother's returned, and we must restore him. And, and his, his, his son, his older son, is like, I don't want to hear it. He's like, Dad, I can't believe you have brought this son, this son of yours back into the household. He took all of your money, which is whose money? It's his money. He's concerned about his inheritance. And he's like, and I've slaved, and I've always been around here, and you welcome this son of yours. And he accuses him of all kinds of awful things, like being with prostitutes and squandering and sinning. He doesn't know because he doesn't have a relationship with his brother, but he just starts accusing him. And he's like, this son of yours has done nothing. And, and some of you might be listening to this, and you're like, I get it, I get it, compassion's good, but he kind of has a point. Like, the other son has, has ruined everything, you know? It's ruined everything. And you're just welcoming him back like nothing's wrong. And compassion and restoration, friends, doesn't mean that there's not another conversation later. But hey, man, we got to start working on some things. But love and compassion comes first. The, the transformation is the goal. Amen? And this brother, basically in this moment, he's like, how could you invite the son? How could you include him back into our family? How could you... It's the same question as the Pharisees with Matthew. Do you see it? How can you, Father, sit and eat 
with a sinner like my brother? It's the same question over and over. See, friends, if we're going to be a church that stands with the Father and runs with the Father to lost sons and lost daughters, we're going to have that question all the time. And you know what? I love it. I love it. Because that question means the father can engage that tension and help in the transformation of his older son, the religious son, the Nicodemus, while at the same time he's involved with the transformation of his runaway son. Isn't that incredible? I mean, it is, this is Whitewater's story. This is our story. This is why we exist. And the father, if you guys remember, there's this moment where the son's like, he's ready to, to walk off and the father gives him one last plea. He says, son, you've, you've always been with me and everything I have is yours. Because the son's acting like, oh, I've worked so hard and you've never done anything for me. And then if you have your Bibles, mark, mark this, like underline this. We had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He's lost and now he's found. Underline celebrate and rejoice. We had to celebrate. We had to rejoice. I know he's messed up. I know he's, he's, he's been lost a long time. I know he's hurt you. I know he's hurt me. But there's this, this understanding of the father's heart is while the father's running to the son, like he's absorbing the anger and dishonor and wrath and frustration and hurt that the son has brought on him and love is, is overwhelming that. doesn't make all those feelings go away and he's trying to, trying to help this son. Is like your feelings of bitterness and anger and unfairness that this person gets to be transformed is over, it's, it's like overwhelming your ability to love and be who God has created you to be. You've got to see what I see. Your brother was dead and now he's come to life. He was lost and now he's found. We have to run to him, go to him, work the other stuff out later. We, there'll be lots to work out, with lots of tensions, but celebrate the transformation. And friends, that's why this is a church, if you know anything about Whitewater, that we celebrate, we party, we thank God every time anybody takes a step toward the Father. Amen? Any person, anytime, anywhere, any place, taking a step toward Jesus, taking a step toward being belonging to the family. We celebrate. We have to rejoice. We have to be, and we have to let go of the things that would, the work in the fields or the frustration, the bitterness, the, that's not fair. We have to let it go because somebody's coming into life. Like, d- does it get more powerful than that do we have anything else to offer the world other than God's love that transforms them no substance no relationship no work no idea no nothing else can transform their life everything they're looking for in the wrong places God has the only antidote to he has the only place of transformation so we are a celebrating community friends And so Jesus, when he ran to the, he went to Matthew, he was showing the father who runs to his son and enters his broken world. How many of you guys know the world's really broken? People are broken. Systems are broken. Minds are broken. Hearts are broken. Bodies are broken. The world's broken. And Jesus runs to it. I'm here to heal them. They're sick. This is what we're about. 
Um, the whitewater, the, the way we, we communicate our vision is we just say, hey, we're sent into the, a broken world by God to bring the whole person and the whole community into a flourishing life with God. Isn't that the story we just heard? Like the father running to his son and bringing the whole son, not just part of him, and saying you can be a slave, but you can't be a son. No, the whole person, his mind, his body, his, his emotions, his spirit, everything. Like we want to see that whole person healed. He wants to see his other brother healed and come into the party. And Jesus with Matthew or Simon the zealot or Martha with the demons and the, uh, the, the leper or Nicodemus the religious who's, who's transforming from religion to relationship or darkness to light or sick to wholeness or violence to peace. Like this is the family of God. This is what we're doing. And friends, this is our, our church. There, I mean, this is what the story has been. God has been writing this right into the hearts of our church. And there are people in our church that have these stories. Where my friend Tony said, man, I, I don't feel like God can forgive me. And his transformation story started with, I can't be forgiven. Like, that's just pixie dust. You just say, forgive me, Lord, and he forgives you. I remember having the conversation and being like, well, well you, you think it's too easy? He's like, yeah, it's way too easy. I was like, but it wasn't easy for Jesus. Dying on the cross for your sins, it wasn't easy for him. Do your kids have to pay their school, pay their medical bills, pay for their life, and do everything on their own, or do you guys pay it? We pay it. We take care of it. I was like, it's hard on you, so it can be easy for them. So it is with God. I remember just this transformation happening, and and my friend Tony turning toward Jesus and giving his life and transforming. And I remember um, Josie. Um, she, she was belonging before she believed and she came from a very different background, totally different religion and, and um, faith. And, and as she was driving to work after belonging and being included in God's family, before she believed, there's this moment where she's like driving to work and somewhere between work, something happened and she said, I just, I finally said, God, I'm giving you my spiritual addiction, the thing that it's been really hard for me to let go. And I, I gave it to him and he came into my life. And that day when she drove home, she wasn't the same person. As this, is the, this is the story of Whitewater, transformation after transformation. My friend Jared, the atheist, made fun of me being a pastor. And I, I never saw him in church. I'd just hang out with him at parties and, you know, get, and just talk with him and laugh with him. He's hilarious. But he, did not, he hated Christianity, hated the church, thought it was a bunch of hypocrisy. And uh, there's a moment where he had great loss in his life. And he looked at his friend who, was, who had died and he said that... It can't just be this physical body. Something is gone. There has to be a soul. And then he, he started soul searching. And there was a moment where he told me that becoming a Christian, once he gave his life to God, he said, for me, becoming a Christian was a process of removing ignorance and letting things go and learning. And he had to intellectually, coherently understand God, but he eventually gave his life to Jesus, transformed. My friend Tehan had a hard time believing that Jesus was Savior, came from a background where like the church, again, was like enemy number one. They were the reason for all these problems, and he realized that God just wanted a relationship with him. And as he belonged and was included in the family of God, loved by people who, who didn't even agree with him or had totally different backgrounds, the unlikely family of God, loved and created belonging and inclusion. What does inclusion belong to? Or what, or what does inclusion create? Tension 
that can lead to transformation. And eventually he said, you know, it wasn't like one moment or one day or one decision for me. He's like, all of a sudden when I realized I was a Christian was when I realized that like, it was like a, a dark room I had been in that the light was slowly turning on and all of a sudden I realized, oh, I can see. Oh, I'm a Christian. We are an unlikely family of inclusion. Amen? So I want to celebrate I want to celebrate that our church is a place where you and I are sent into a broken world to bring the whole person and the whole community. And on a side note, the father invited the whole community, did he not, to include the son? So we see individual transformation and community transformation in the story of the prodigal son. And the purpose is to bring the community and the individual into a flourishing life with God. That's what our church does. That's who we are. And so, let's celebrate. Everything we do is to see that celebration of a changed life. All our groups, our meetings, the chairs that are set up, all the work that goes in the children's area, all of the work, the rental of this building is not just so we do church, friends. It's so that we see changed lives. The reason we give our time, our talent, our treasure the reason we give of everything we have, and there's people who sacrifice so much of this church, isn't selfish. It's not for, for me. It's so that others can know and find Jesus. That's why we exist. And we've been in this thing called Built. It's been our, this campaign where we feel like, hey, God's going to bring us a, a, a per, more permanent place to call home, like a property, a building, and, and we can't wait to build a place that becomes like a family home for people to come back home to, lost sons and daughters, coming back home, being transformed, going back out, bringing other pe- people back in, going back out, bringing other people back in. Does that make sense? That's what we want to see. And we've been on this thing, and it's, it's a, I think it's a year today, or, uh, or give or take maybe a week, But it's a year that we've been in this campaign, and I just wanted to celebrate that we have people that have given so that lives can transform. We've had 82 people involved with this campaign so that people can find Jesus, and we've raised almost $170,000 so people can find Jesus. Can you? Yeah, let's celebrate that. So we are going to celebrate. So I'm going to have some friends. um, They're going to hand around some drinks. And we're going to give a toast to the family of God, being the inclusive family of God. Okay? So you can feel feel free to grab a a drink. And um, I I want you guys to know a few things as they're handing handing out drinks. One is we want to celebrate with everything we are and everything we have anytime someone finds Jesus. We want to celebrate anytime we have a win. And to me, it's a win when we have people that are giving. Did you know that people have given and sacrificed uh, this year so that uh, they can give on top of their tithes and offering, like on top of a 10% that they give to the church? They've given more so for the building campaign. And we've had people that are giving just their time, like serving the kids and set up and tear down, doing incredible things. And so this is what a family does. How many of you guys know that uh, I had a friend who said, like, a family you can belong before you believe, but there's a time to roll up your sleeve? I want to thank each and every one of you that have served and given so that we can have this family. Um, And here's what I want you guys to do. I'm going to do a toast here in a second, but uh, I'm going to have the band play uh, some music softly for a little bit. And I want you to ask this one question 
and get up out of your seats and ask this one question. You got mind putting it up here? How has uh, the Whitewater family impacted and changed your life? Would you take a few moments to get up as you're getting the drinks just to talk about that together? And then I'm going to lead us in a toast. Sound good? So hang on to your, uh, your juice. All right, go for it. I'll bring them back to the toast and then you guys can do the, that final. Cool, I like it.
right. Hey, why? Why are you having fun? Woo! Yeah. Um, hey, where you are? Let's uh, let's raise our glasses. I just want to give a toast uh, to Whitewater to this family. Um, so here's to this church. Um, this is a church where God is bringing the whole person, the whole community, into a flourishing life with God. Amen. Cheers. can grab a seat. Um, man, it was so cool. Um, I talked with a few people, but one person told me um, how Whitewater as a, as a church family, how you as a church family have impacted them is uh, Whitewater as a family has made it so they want to come back to church again. Um, and I just think that's, we know that many times people can come in with wounds from the past and and that's a big healing point. Another person I talked to said, um, I have faith again. Like, I have faith. Another person said, like, this is a place I can call home. And, like, I feel like I can be authentic and others can be authentic. And as I was thinking about that, the biggest impact Whitewater's had on me is I went from a life where ministry was a little bit more in the four walls of the church. And now, um, like, where I didn't know maybe my neighbors and wasn't invested in in people out there, that God's at work out there. And now, like, through Whitewater and through the process of belonging and inclusion, like, now I live a life where I'm, I'm inviting other people, neighbors and people I meet, into the life of God, into my life, as I'm inviting them into the life of the church. And so I just wanted to thank you guys for being a church that I can do that and learn and grow in that. Um, and I also just wanted to thank you again, like 100, 170,000 this year just is unbelievable. We're so excited about how God's going to use that. And um, if you, if you um, have been part of the, the Built campaign, um, you, I just appreciate your sacrifice. Thank you to the 82 families that have participated. If you're new, you might be like, man, I didn't know about this. I want to join. Well, you can still give and jump in. Um, and, and we have these, uh, basically these, these, uh, the campaign in a packet form on the back table. You can grab it and learn the information. If you're like, man, I had a commitment, but like some crazy financial things happened, so it's taking a little bit longer, like you can still finish through the summer. That's okay. Um, and some of you guys had some miraculous stories about how God helps you um, stretch yourself to make a big commitment that you thought was going to be really difficult. And I just, again, want to thank everybody for just their participation in your faith as a church. And um, we wanted to celebrate this year. This has been a full year as our church is growing. But I want to make sure we know this. The building is just a tool. This building is just a tool. Those chairs are just a tool for reaching people for Christ. 
being a church that runs into the world of others and bring them into a flourishing life with the Father. So what I want to do is I want to invite us to sing two songs. And some of you might need to turn back to God. Some of you guys are hearing this about the family and you're like, man, I need to be in the family. And maybe there's some things you need to just let go of. So what I want to do is I want you in these next songs just to be praying and thinking, or maybe just thinking, like what do I need to let go of so I can run back to the Father? You might just need to return to Him. You've just been running away. Or maybe you've been coming here and this is like your first time at church, or you've been coming on behalf of a spouse or friend, but this isn't your faith, and now you're like, man, I need faith for the first time. Be praying and thinking in these next two songs. At the end of the service, after these next two songs, I'm going to give uh, you an, an, an invitation. I'm going to give you an opportunity to take a step of faith into the family of God together. Does that sound good? So let's stand and sing together.